With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Got a solo edition on the podcast today. For everyone, thank you as always for tuning in. We'll have my regular co-host, Ray McFarlane, back next week. Maybe some USFL action after that. But today, wanted to go through each you know running back, wide receiver, kind of tight end room quickly. I'm not planning on spending more than 20, 30 minutes here. But look at the available targets that we have now had a chance to really see start driving home uh, with free agency all but over only a handful of big names really still out there at the moment by available targets what i mean is that for example the Bengals, based on available targets have 79 percent of their 2021 tight end targets available that means that cj uzama was responsible for 79 percent of their tight end targets last season because he's now a member of the jets we have that percentage available for whoever is going to be employed by the Bengals at tight end in 2022 most likely hayden hurst and drew sample for the purposes of that example but basically we're looking at where the biggest chunks are in available targets at running back wide receiver and tight end across the league this will help us zero in on some potential teams that should really be looking towards the draft for uh you know filling one of these spots or maybe teams you know for example not to spoil the whole podcast but like the jets who brought back pretty much their whole running back room i know we're maybe assuming that they are going to add somebody to compete with michael carter and company but based on their actions so far maybe we should be starting to look ahead to a world where michael carter is a featured back so that's the purpose of today's episode you know there has been some criticism in the industry of you know available or vacated targets and carries and all that and yeah it's one piece of the puzzle, just like all the other pieces of the puzzle. So in and of itself, like, no, this should not be your only thing. I hear the common critique, like, look at available carries last year. They screwed us over with Mike Davis. Like, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. And it is a volatile situation when we're looking at vacated and available targets and expecting someone to just come in off the street and immediately take over. But we also saw in that same backfield how all that opportunity did go well for one Cordero Patterson. So again, not a be all end all, but I think, you know, with the draft around the corner and a lot of people, you know, projecting, you know, your favorite wide receiver prospect to this team, good time to actually see how plausible that might be from a fantasy sense of the matter so gonna share my screen with all you lovely youtubers out there and as always you can also catch the screen share on spotify got a handy dandy conditionally formatted chart here that i spent the last few hours putting together got it on twitter caught a mistake or two apologies to the austin hooper family didn't quite get him on the first try but now i believe we are all set up so as you guys can see here chiefs top the entire league with 55 percent of the 2021 available targets up for grabs heavy majority is at running back and of course tyreek hill wide receiver but don't sleep on daryl williams and jarek mckinnon being out of the picture as well also have the cardinals packers browns and bears above the 40 percent mark on the other side of things teams that just don't really have any available targets for people to come in off the street and get the Panthers 49ers Lions and particularly the Eagles stand out as squads that at this point 
It's not saying that someone can't come in there and take over, you know, move over. Uh, we got Zach Pascal in town. Like I'm assuming Jalen Rager is probably going to be out of three wide receiver sets now because of Pascal. Still, though, you are taking a small leap of faith, more of a leap of faith than assuming he's going to win that position battle than if the guy just wasn't there to begin with. So. All that said, I want to go running back, wide receiver, tight end. Not going to hit on every single team, but I think just looking at, you know, kind of the outliers, both uh, good and bad for fantasy availability purposes, might just learn a thing or two. Why the hell not, folks? It's a great day to be great. Starting things off with running back, Ravens topping the charts, not too much to worry about. This is simply because they did not re-sign anyone from last year when they had to enter the damn season without J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. We did see some murmurs about Melvin Gordon visiting Baltimore. You know, that was about a week ago. No deal has been signed since, so tough to say if that's going to be a thing. Uh, keep an eye on that Ravens running back room. We can deal with two back committees. It does get that much harder when we already have Lamar Jackson kind of infiltrating his way in there. We've talked about this plenty mobile quarterbacks great for their own fantasy value not so much for everyone else in the offense particularly the running backs uh, so if we are going to have a situation where it's Dobbins Gus and someone else uh, that's gonna be really tough to trust Dobbins as you know the upside RB2 that so many want him to be Mentioned the Chiefs briefly, but right now, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, RB1, and to finally be getting those targets that we all kind of assumed he was drafted in the first round for uh, in the first place. Daryl Williams, um, he actually already signed somewhere else, I believe. And then Jarek McKinnon is still a free agent. So Ronald Jones, the only one to come in. So on the one hand, Ronald Jones is like best case backup for like not taking away Clyde Edwards-Alaire's target share. I don't know if there is a single worse receiving back in the league than Ronald Jones. On the other hand, Guys, I'm getting some 2021 James Conner vibes with 2022 Ronald Jones. Not the same player. It's not a one-for-one -one comp or anything. I understand James Conner had the 2018 season in Pittsburgh, showed a little bit more, you know, in terms of being able to catch the ball. And going from Pittsburgh to Arizona, you know, a nice big leap in kind of offensive firepower, whereas Rojo was already in a great situation in Tampa Bay, but he's still in a great situation in Kansas City. And the thought is more so kind of due to how they're being valued right now, because Rojo is being set up as the RB2 at worst in Kansas City, someone that even if Clyde doesn't get hurt, hey, Rojo, if he's getting 150, 200 carries, wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if he flirts with double-digit touchdowns. And hey, we just saw Clyde get benched in the playoffs by Jarek McKinnon, who the Chiefs didn't even feel good enough about to re-sign. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Ronald Jones comes in and takes over. Very similar contracts within about 250000 on the original one-year deals that both Connor and Rojo signed. I think Rojo's in a great offense. He has double-digit upside, double-digit touchdown upside potential. I think a lot of people were just writing him off as, why would I draft Ronald Jones? He sucks. And it's like, well, if you look at it, if you just said, hey, I got the Chiefs RB2 behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who we know is not exactly capable so far of completely holding down this three-down job, and we just removed everything we knew about Ronald Jones, doing like the player A, player B thing, I think a lot of people would be surprised because as bad as Rojo is in pass protection and as a receiver, he really can't run the hell out of that ball. I mean, he went for 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns in the first year with Brady in Tampa Bay. Credit to Lombardi Lenny for taking over the job and doing his thing. Uh, I'm not quite sure Rojo as a rusher is as bad as everyone thinks he is. I hear you. doesn't probably have 
have the three down workhorse role in his potential range of outcomes the same way Connor did. Again, not a one for one uh, projection, but I do think, again, based on the overall offensive firepower in KC and all this available opportunity in the backfield, I mean, it goes fairly into um, the carries as well. I know we're talking about targets right now, but even looking at their available carries, I mean, the Chiefs joined the Giants, Rams, and Ravens as the only team with over 50% of their backfield carries available. So with all those kind of factors in mind, and at that damn ADP, I do think, you know, for zero RB drafters, you could do a lot worse than getting Ronald Jones, who is the Chiefs RB2, you know, once we're hitting those double-digit rounds. Giants and Cardinals, both with 50% of their available targets in the backfield. Saquon Barkley and James Conner, if these guys don't add, you know, legit running back resources during the draft, are going to be set up as guys that are set to see massive volume. We can talk about the Giants offense not being the best, but all these good offseason moves with the coaching staff could presumably help out Saquon, Daniel Jones, and the overall offensive upside involved for really everyone there. So Saquon and James Conner shaping up to be two guys that I think if we look at their projections, are going to rank out as top 10 at the worst, at the lowest fantasy running backs. We're going to have a lot of people that just say, oh, they're going to get hurt. I don't want to touch them. So keep an eye on those Giants and Cardinals backfields because right now, really just one established guy in each. New England Patriots, 47% available targets because Brandon Bolden was their pass down back last year. He is now in Las Vegas. Don't be sleeping on James White. He was actually out there. I think he caught six passes in each of the first two weeks of last season. Unfortunately, got hurt in the third week. But hey, Mac Jones throwing the ball a little bit more. Still Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson up top. But we're going to see three RB committees in New England. They really didn't. I mean, you can see their other numbers, you know, wide receiver and tight end. They're already basically set there. Maybe they add a receiver in the draft. Maybe they don't. Ty Montgomery is in the picture as well. I wouldn't be shocked if he actually manages to take over that role from James White. But ultimately, I think. Montgomery's probably there to beat a new Brandon Bolden, primary special teams guy. He'll play running back if any of the other guys get hurt. Houston still have 43% of the targets available. Marlon Max there, Rex Burkhead. I, I think we're just going to see another three, four back committee that we're generally going to want to stay away from in Fantasyland. Jaguars, 42% available targets, seemingly all going to Travis Etienne. I Guys, like, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse here. I know I probably tend to do that sometimes. Life when, uh, you know, we're recording four fantasy podcasts a week uh, throughout the offseason, I guess. But, you know, I enjoy on Twitter going through the comments sometimes. I feel like that helps me, uh, you know, kind of relate a little bit better with like what the general people are thinking. I know they can be a toxic uh, place from time to time. So I'm not saying I put a ton of stock into it, but just seeing like this Travis Etienne, James Robinson discourse, so many more people almost seem more concerned with Etienne's like coming back from injury, which he, again, he has had an entire season, entire year at this point to recover from compared to James Robinson who tore his freaking Achilles in December. So I don't even necessarily want to conclude from Marlon Mack and Cam Akers, a two running back sample, that coming back from the Achilles is a situation where we're going to see the efficiency just plummet. But guys, again, Dr. Jesse Morse was kind enough to get in my mentions, and he does not really believe that uh, James, excuse me, that uh, James Robinson is going to be playing football next year. So that is a big assumption people are making about the health of James Robinson. I think as we continue to see Jacksonville hopefully make it through the draft without putting any more capital there, and if we don't get good news on the James Robinson rehab, ETN is going to be someone booming up those boards, and there is enough available opportunity for him to do so. Broncos, 
Looking good. No Melvin Gordon still. At this point, though, you'd also like to think that, like, come on, they haven't re-signed Melvin Gordon by now. How, like, would they really bring him back and still start him over Javante Williams when clearly they haven't, you know, been... It hasn't been their most pressing offseason need. I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say about the situation. But Javante Williams truly, I mean, RB2 overall behind only Jonathan Taylor. If you want to go that high, it you can you can rationalize it. Either way, I mean, he's already going like RB8, RB9 area. So it's going to be a little bit of a bump up. But yes, things looking great for Javante with the Rams. And uh, yeah, Rams 37% available carries. That's all coming from Sony Michelle. So still think it'll be Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson. Please, Sean McVay, don't use another third-round pick on one of these running backs. I think you've done that enough uh, over these years. I'm not even sure if McVay is the one necessarily pulling the strings with the draft picks, but don't rule out a committee in Los Angeles. I know, you know, we had the Todd Gurley role in the past, C.J. Anderson, Cam Akers briefly, but I do wonder if, you know, these constant kind of string of injuries that they've been having over the years to that backfield eventually is going to force McVay's hand. Only other team above 30% available targets in the backfield is the Carolina Panthers. So uh, that's just a situation where we had guys like Rodney Smith, even Amir Abdullah at the end of the year, uh, stealing a little bit too much away. Abdullah is also now in Vegas. I like Josh Jacobs' ability to catch the ball, but we have Josh McDaniels there, notorious for using three running back committees. And now they also choose to bring in Bolden and Abdullah, two running backs that I'm not terrified of, but also we've seen them carve out roles as a receiving back. Uh, It is something to monitor in Vegas. Vegas, skipping down just a little bit, handful of teams that just have under, uh, you know, 10, 12% of available targets here. Buccaneers, yeah, Leonard Fournette's role could be even bigger than it was last year. And it was already a top five role in all of fantasy. So Giovanni Bernard's back, but Lenny was already taking that job over uh, all wheels up for Leonard Fournette, a true top five fantasy back at this point. If you want to go six or seventh, fine, but I do think top five is warranted. Buffalo Bills, just 7%. Devin Singletary is one of these guys where if we make it through this draft and there's no Brees Hall at it, there's no Kenneth Walker, the Bills are content with their backfield. Devin Singletary is going to be priced as an RB2, maybe even RB3 with a true RB1 ceiling. Steelers looking the same. Cowboys looking the same. Colts looking the same. Eagles still crowded. Vikings the same. Guys with absolutely zero change. Packers, Browns, Falcons, Jets, Commanders, Bengals, 49ers, and the Lions. So I know the Commanders, we had that, you know, 24-hour stretch. I'm not even sure if it was that long of Antonio Gibson being freed from J.D. McKissick. Simply not the case. The two teams I would highlight from here, though, are the Falcons and Jets because... Cordero Patterson, Michael Carter. These are two guys that I think had a wide range of outcomes in terms of how this offseason could go. But Patterson comes back to the Falcons, always was going to be the best place. It's the only offense that's ever given him over 100 freaking touches in the season. And they said, screw it, we'll give you over 200. And then Michael Carter, like for them to bring back Tevin Coleman and have Ty Johnson still there as well. I mean, it's similar to like, uh, honestly, I, we can throw Elijah Mitchell and the 49ers in there. Like, uh, I think Mitchell probably had, a, we felt more confident in Mitchell coming back and having that starting job. But the fact they're just bringing back a lot of running backs that we've already seen these, you know, about to be rising second year players beat out is good news for their chance of continuing to do so. So I think CPAT and Michael Carter stand out here as two guys who we could really see their stock, uh, throw Singletary in there as well, really see their stock continue to soar should their team refrain from adding a high end running back in the draft. Look at some wide receiver goodness now. Sorted it wrong. Good job, Ian. Here we go. Wide receiver rooms with the most. We actually have, let's see, seven squads that have over 50% of their 2021 wide receiver targets available. 
Top two, you guys heard all about the trade. Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. You know, we got MVS and Juju in town now for the Chiefs. Still seem awfully likely to use a high-round pick on the position. Same thing goes with the Packers, except we haven't even gotten the Juju and MVS type signed yet. I mean, Sammy Watkins, the Lizard King himself, was taking a visit uh, this this uh, Thursday morning as I'm recording this. So maybe he ends up in Green Bay. But my God, guys, like I, we're still here. I know there's Will Fuller out there. There's still some okay enough wide receivers. Maybe the Packers have a plan. I sure hope so. Falcons also have plenty of available opportunity. Oh my God, is that Auden Tate's music? You could imagine. I do think he'll be out there in three wide receiver sets. And, you know, you can always, you can make a case for a hell of a lot of guys, you know, in the last rounds of best ball drafts. Hey, maybe Auden Tate gets it done. Uh, it's certainly, I, I will certainly be his biggest fan along the way. Arizona Cardinals, fourth in available targets at wide receiver. Hence why we're so high on Rondale Moore. Why should we expect a big target increase for Rondale Moore in year two when he could have get in year one? Well, the guys that stopped him from doing that in year one are now out of the picture in both Christian Kirk and AJ Green. We've even had Cliff Kingsbury tell us that they want Rondale to now basically be the full-time guy and the slot was not a given last year. So sometimes I think people get so hyped up about these rookies and if they don't put up, you know, immediate, you know, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle level production, we just assume that it was completely their fault. I don't know. It didn't make sense that Rondale was behind Kirk and AJ Green. At the same time as Cliff Kingsbury, like making that move, would that be the first time we've been confused by some personnel decisions with him? So Rondale Moore all wheels up, and I think people will continue to figure that out if they make it through the draft. Browns, plenty of available wide receiver opportunity. That's all stemming from Jarvis Landry and to an extent Odell Beckham as well. You would think Amari Cooper is going get to get most of that, but don't sleep on Donovan Peoples-Jones potentially being this offense's number two pass game option, uh, similar to an Auden Tate. I think he does make sense as a later round dart and best ball formats. Chicago Bears, all sorts of available opportunity. Uh, we'll see who exactly is going to be around to fill that. You know, Demarcus Robinson got... Not a small chunk of change. Uh, hey, just, you know, it, I will say if you guys hype up a late round baseball guy, I don't want to do this for every single freaking team I talk about here. I know I've done it in two or three straight. Uh, they should at least be in starting two, three wide receiver sets. That is Demarcus Robinson. That's about the nicest thing I can say there. Bigger takeaway, though, is that Darnell Mooney is shaping up as a potential target hog in this offense. Uh, you know, we're hearing the stuff out of Chicago how about how sold they are in Justin Fields and how confident he is in the offensive system. Let's put some good players in the offensive system at one point. I'm not, not angry yet, but you don't have a ton of draft picks to begin with. Uh, I really, really hope they can find some day two guys to add into that wide receiver room and finally last team with over 50 percent of wide receiver available targets is the miami dolphins a lot of that stemming from the Devonte parker uh trade you would really expect the majority of that to just continue to be funneled to uh jalen waddle and now tyreek hill as well but we got cedric wilson in the slot there's a lot of mouths to feed in miami and as we see you know running back room only 18 percent available targets and not a single one available at tight end so biggest thing with miami I would really be worried about Mike Tosicki because he played wide receiver for them last year, lined up as their big slot. National tight end day, didn't even celebrate. Said it was national big slot day uh, to him. And I just think that adding Tyreek, adding Waddle, adding Cedric Wilson, like Durham Smythe is their usual inline tight end. I think there's a chance that Tosicki is like a really good real life asset, but ultimately he's only on the field for 50, 60% of the snaps. Some other teams over 30%. Cowboys just missed the 50% mark, obviously losing Amari Cooper. Uh, good news for CeeDee Lamb. Even better news for Michael Gallup. Let's just keep an eye on that ACL recovery. Also, James Washington setting up as a wide receiver three. Maybe, just maybe, Tony Pollard slot wide receiver season. A man can dream, everyone. 
Buffalo Bills, 40% available targets right now. Similar to Devin Singletary, like Gabriel Davis is in a similar situation. I think Davis has kind of already received his um, ADP hike. I mean, that's what happens when you score four freaking touchdowns in a playoff game. Uh, yeah, he's not going to do that every single week. But the way the offseason has gone, they didn't resign, um, resign Emmanuel Sanders. All they did was resign Isaiah McKenzie and go after Jamison Crowder both basically full-time slot receivers. So maybe the Bills do go out there and they get George Pickens or one of these clear-cut outside guys to rotate with Gabriel Davis. I think stand now, though, it is looking like Stephon Diggs, wide receiver one, Gabriel Davis, wide receiver two, in that Josh Allen pecking order. A lot of opportunity in Indianapolis as well with T.Y. Hilton and Zach Paschal out of the picture. Good news for Paris Campbell. If he can stay healthy, going to be the wide receiver two, potentially in Indianapolis, and particularly Michael Pittman. Right now, I'm like 15 spots ahead of consensus just at the wide receiver position with Pittman over everyone else. I really do think he is this year's mega year three breakout that's getting assisted from uh, having a lot of this available opportunity. Last three years in in order, it's been uh, Chris Goblin in 2019 when Deshaun Jackson, Adam Humphreys were out of town. He got elevated in the starting lineup. Then it was Calvin Ridley. We lost Muhammad Sanu from the season before. Got a little bit of help from Julio Jones being out as well. And then last year, Deontay Johnson with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster getting hurt earlier on in the year and then really getting that boost in targets. So Michael Pittman, I think, fits that same criteria as those guys. Flashed heavily during the first two years in the league. I know Pittman was basically the number one last year, but that was what could be a more run-heavy offense, you know, with Carson now moving from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan under center and still having Hilton and Pascal around a little bit, I think, uh, dinged up that Pittman target share. So love, love, love the Michael Pittman boom this year. Also have the Jets losing a little bit in the form of Jameson Crowder. Steelers losing some in the form of Juju and Ray-Ray McLeod. Los Angeles Rams still got to resign OBJ. I mean, that's the thing with Allen Robinson. Like, when it first happened, it was wondering, like, hey, are there... What's going to happen here like with Robert Woods and OBJ? Well, if we take those two guys out of the picture, all of a sudden A-Rob does have plenty of available targets. Finally, the Raiders at 32% uh, with Zay Jones taking his talents to the Jaguars. My God, the Jaguars. I forgot about how absurd their offseason was until this moment in time. I think I was just blacking it out. Only offense is under 10% available targets at wide receiver. The Detroit Lions. DJ Chark doesn't cost anything right now, so I think he's fine to buy low. But there's a chance that we see like him, Khalif, uh, Raymond, and Josh Reynolds like rotating on the outside. Money would tell us that Chark will be starting at one of those spots. I think he's better than those guys, but it's a Monroe St. Brown season. Similar to, I think, Gabriel Davis here. Like All the moves the Lions have made, just re-signing outside receivers and then going out there, DJ Chark, who couldn't be a more different receiver than a Monroe St. Brown. You know, it's just all good news for him. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, just nothing really going on here. But keep in mind, everyone, like we're hearing, God, biggest one of my biggest pet peeves this offseason so far is like, oh, imagine Justin Jefferson, the Cooper Cup role. The Cooper Cup role just had the most prolific season in NFL history among wide receivers. Take out the extra game, and he was second behind Jerry Rice ever in just full fantasy points. Even if you're not a fantasy guy, all we're doing is accumulating and putting, you know, a reasonable point total next to receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns, which are the same freaking stats that non-fantasy folks are trying to use anyway. So I really think if we just renamed fantasy points to like, I don't know, utility score or something, like we would all of a sudden see all these analytics people that shame fantasy football using this stat way more often because it does a good job accumulating the stats that we care about. So 
that little rant aside, I barely even remember what I was talking. Oh yeah, the Justin Jefferson Cooper Cup role. Like I just think we're setting ourselves up all offseason, and he'll be great next year. I think Justin Jefferson, he's my wide receiver too. Draft him freaking second or third overall for all I care in fantasy. You're gonna have a great receiver, but that. Stop with this Cooper Cup role. Like, no, Cooper Cup is one of the best receivers in the game, and he got force-fed a ton of targets. Like, yeah, it's great to have a lot of that scheme to perfection by Sean McVay, uh, but to just act like Justin Jefferson wasn't already great or that there's this, you know, special role that's just going to really bring out any, any more of him, uh, it just seems like, you know, we don't need to be jumping through these hoops when we're talking about already two of the best wide receivers in the game. But with all that said, I think we're going to, you know, continue to hype up Jefferson, deservedly so, only for Adam. Adam Thielen to turn in a two-touchdown week one performance. Gotta love that. Basically, no availability in Denver, Carolina, New England, Cincinnati, and Los Angeles. I was hoping that this could maybe be a nice little breakout year for Josh Palmer. Not only did Mike Williams get re-signed, but also Jalen Guyton was brought back as an exclusive rights-free agent. So I think Palmer and Guyton will just kind of rotate in that three spot. Neither guy all that likely to provide some consistent fantasy goodness. Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Philly, the three teams with absolutely zero available opportunity. Like, that's the thing with Philly. From Jalen Hurts' development, I understood the Calvin Ridley trade rumors, and I understand the allure of maybe adding one of these wide receivers with one of their two first-round picks. At the same time, gone down that road two straight drafts, and I just don't know where those available targets are going to come from. I think they like... I guess Quez Watkins, I think they like him, though. They signed Zach Pascal. I get it. It's not the stiffest competition, but we already have Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard in the league's most run-heavy offense projecting ahead to 2022. I mean, there's a reason why Devontae and Goddard are already tough enough to you know rank as elite players, even if we are behind them as talents because of that opportunity. Adding a third party to that equation would make things even more difficult. Tight ends, then we'll get on out of here, everybody. Appreciate you always tuning in. Oh my God, look at that team at the top. Minnesota Vikings, 99% of that tight end opportunity is available with Tyler Conklin taking his talents to the Jets and my guy Chris Herndon, unfortunately, still a free agent. Irv Smith season, everybody. The guy's young. He's proven talented. He's got a new offensive coordinator that we've seen hand full-time jobs over to tight ends. Absolutely love Irv Smith. Remains my favorite late-round tight end. The New York Giants, you know, similar sentiment could start to be said for Ricky Seals-Jones just based on available opportunity with them, you know, losing Evan Ingram, uh, releasing Kyle Rudolph. RSJ, I didn't think he was ever going to be a full-time tight end. He's a former wide receiver convert and everything, but those are the types of pass catchers we prefer. In fantasy land, Washington was willing to give him the every down roll. Maybe just maybe New York is as well. Bunch of opportunity with the Jets. Unfortunately, it's going to be two guys in CJ Uzoma and Tyler Conklin splitting it up. Do not expect either of them to be consistent fantasy producers. Also in Cincy now, with Uzoma out of town, we do have a bunch of available opportunity at tight end. Question is, can Hayden Hurst or Drew Sample take all of that? And then what's the upside? Because like last year, CJ Uzoma was their every down tight end and he still couldn't provide more than middling to low end tight end two value more weeks uh, than not. He had a boom week here or there, but on the season, I think he was tight end 18 and that, that was pretty good for him to have all of that volume, but Hurst or Sample, I mean, best case that the offense is number four pass game option. So always keep that in mind here. You can be your tight end one, but you know, a tight end one in Kansas City is a number one pass game option. The tight end one in Cincy, uh, you might be number four or number five. A lot of room with the Chargers. 
I hear the Gerald Everett allure. I, you know, I how many times am I going to say allure on this podcast? Come on, Ian. Uh, I, I hear the thoughts that Gerald Everett could have a nice year. He's been good with his opportunities throughout his career, but just hasn't able to get the full-time job because of Tyler Higby. And then last year, Will Disley for a bit in Seattle. I do think Donald Parham is going to make this annoying enough to kind of render them both um, as just not that viable of fantasy assets. Hey, Everett in that you know late tight end two range, I think he's firmly in that tier. You can make an argument for it i just want to get too excited there but we can get excited in denver with albert o really set up to eat now with noah fan taking most of his stuff elsewhere and the denver broncos just really refraining from adding anyone else a serious substance look if we see a trey mcbride and one of the top three tight ends go to denver we will adjust but as things stand right now it does look like albert o is set up as a near full-time tight end in a, a passing game that has a lot of room to go up now at russell wilson under center Three more teams, over 50% available targets at tight end. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is with Gronk out. Shout out to uh, underdog fantasies. Hayden Winks for pointing this out. But one of his favorite late round picks in best ball right now has been Cameron Brait. I still think that Gronk is going to come back. I, I just do. And I think he's kind of hinted at that in different areas. You know, one report after another. He's always it's TMZ or he's you know, leaving this party or doing this or that at the grocery store. Whatever it is, it just seems like he hasn't been you know all that worried about it because I think his decision is already made up. But let's say he does take his name out of the hat and decides not to come back from Tampa Bay decides not to go back to Tampa Bay or the NFL at all, all of a sudden Cameron Braid at the end of things is looking like, you know, an every down tight end for Tom Brady. Remember, OJ Howard is now a member of the Buffalo Bills. A lot of opportunity in Seattle as well with Gerald Everett out of town. I, I can't get behind Noah Fant. I'm sorry, the guy flashed in Denver, but he couldn't beat out Albert O. And now he's going to be in Seattle as the second highest paid tight end behind Will Disley, who we just saw We've really seen over the last three years continue to take away snaps and targets alike from the tight end that we would rather have in fantasy land. So same quarterback problems. I, I don't see how people can continue to rank Noah Fant like he was in Denver. I mean, it's just it's a now more unknown situation and a probably more run heavy offense. And yeah, I just cannot get behind uh, Noah Fant. There's a chance he doesn't start. Like, they just paid Will Disley all this money. I don't know why they did that. I would not have done that. I would start Noah Fant. doesn't matter what I would do. It matters what the Seahawks would do. And let's face it, haven't seen uh, too much rational decision-making uh, seemingly being made by the organization for the better part of the last six months. And I'm sure you could go a lot further with that if you wanted to be a dick. Tennessee Titans also sitting there, 59% available targets at tight end. Austin Hooper starting to get his name into that. I don't know, though, guys. I, I would say Austin Hooper is better than anyone they had there last year, probably more capable of taking on that three-down role. They did resign Jeff Swaim, though, and I just, this offense, if they're going to keep using three or four tight ends, it's going to render Hooper really like it was the last two years in Cleveland. Great, solid, real-life contributor, but when we have three, three or, God forbid, four tight ends moving on an offense, it's going to be what happened in Cleveland. Like, it's honestly, <laughs> I see, like, with Ferkser uh, out of the picture, I think I saw he signed somewhere uh, yesterday, but God, it's just not enough opportunity to go around for Austin Hooper in another run-first offense with a quarterback upgrade. You know, to be fair, I, I just don't think he's going to really have the targets. It's still going to go through A.J. Brown first and foremost, and now Robert Woods uh, probably second. Final few notes here. Washington Commanders just under the 50% mark. Let's see how that Logan Thomas ACL recovery is going, but he is going to be one of the few tight ends that is on the field for each and every snap. Also, the Cleveland Browns losing Hooper. Good news for David Njoku. Just keep in mind that Harrison Bryant is also there. If they add another tight end, I will be firmly out on the Njoku upside two case. 
like, it's great having Deshaun Watson there, guys, but like, can we all admit that it'd be a pretty big drop off from, you know, having Watson there for 16 games and having him there for eight, for six? I have no idea. This whole thing has looked so bad. I, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to be determining the suspension. Uh, I did think I heard that they're not, you know, if nothing criminally or civilly is figured out by the time the season starts, I, I think they have said that it's not going to be done midseason or anything. So I just hope we have some more clarity around this situation uh, by the time August rolls around. Some more later round tight ends we can maybe wrap our minds around. Mo Alley Cox with the Colts, thanks to Jack Doyle retiring, and Evan Ingram with the Jaguars after they lost, uh, you know, James O'Shaughnessy and a few other guys from that picture. So those are, you know, all the teams with a lot of available opportunity at tight end. There is a big chunk of teams where it is going to be the opposite, under 10%, but not necessarily a bad thing if we already know where those targets are going to. So. Cardinals, just 7%. Zach Ertz is back, though. And look, if you don't believe in Rondale Moore, fine. I'm not, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Believe what you want to believe. But if you don't believe in Rondale Moore, that means you should be all in on Zach Ertz because we know DeAndre Hopkins is number one pass game option. And after that, it's going to be Ertz or it's going to be Rondale. Uh, hand up. I think I was out on Ertz a little bit early. He was, I think, more hurt in 2020 than a lot of us gave him credit for. And I saw more plays than just that, like, 50-yard catch and run touchdown he had in his first play with the Cardinals. Uh, but throughout the rest of the year, he looked way better in 2021 than he did in 2020. And we saw the Cardinals like utilize him accordingly. He was, I think he legit got a rush attempt once or twice near the goal line. Like they were featuring him. And I, I've seen the splits with him and Hopkins on the field. Only two games, though, one of which was that Bears game where Kyler only threw the ball like 20 times anyway. So not paying that much mind to that. I think Zach Ertz, where he's going, like he's not even being treated as a top 12 tight end. But if you had to rank, you know, tight ends in order of projected targets, I think you'd be hard pressed to rank more than four or five ahead of the guy. Saints, not much going on here. Adam Troutman post-hype bounce back season, perhaps. I, I will probably be fading that narrative. Raiders still Darren Waller. Rams still Tyler Higby. Ravens still Mark Andrews. Chiefs still got Travis Kelsey, obviously. Packers, Robert Tunyon is back in the picture. Maybe he has more of a featured role. Mercedes Lewis uh, is obviously still back as well. Talked about Miami a little bit earlier. Buffalo, no available opportunity. And OJ Howard is now in the picture. I don't necessarily think O.J. Howard's going to take Dawson Knox's job or anything. It could be more of a split situation than what we saw last year, though. And any extra targets is going to be a pr any additional fewer targets, I should say, uh, is going to be a problem for Dawson Knox trying to you know replicate that high end touchdown efficiency he had. 49ers still run by Kittle. Lions still run by TJ Hawkinson. We were hoping for a potential Tommy Tremble's breakthrough uh, year two, you know, thing going on in Carolina, but they went ahead and re-signed Ian Thomas long-term. Once again, not expecting Carolina to produce a fantasy-friendly tight end. Still Hunter Henry and John Smith in New England in Philly. Dallas Goddard still holding strong. So that is going to wrap up all the available target talk. I hope you all enjoyed getting caught up a little bit, you know, in the post-free agency format here. But before we get going, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4.340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Relevant to a first round pick with Manscaped. And finally, everyone got a great sale going on with PFF right now. You can use code DRAFT50 and get 50% off an elite 
annual subscription, courtesy of PFF. All of our locked article content, NFL draft guide, unlock mock draft simulator, all of our fantasy grades, everything, all that and so much more. Again, promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off a PFF Elite subscription. And also, check out the new podcast, guys. Hutch, a four-part podcast series with number one overall NFL draft prospect, Aiden Hutchinson on April 13th. Interviews with Jim Harbaugh, current and former Michigan football players, key members of the Aiden's family, media members, and draft analysts. Check out Hutch, which debuted on April 13th. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Uh, you know, appreciate you hanging with me with the solo pods. Again, we'll be back with Dwayne next week and more. I'll actually have another podcast out Friday with my guy, Eric Frillon from Roto World, artist formerly known as Roto World, now NBC Sports Edge. We're going to be talking to some college running backs coming out. Uh, I've talked about how important I think draft capital is. Uh, Saul Funny, I think his name is Akash on uh, Twitter, where he was saying, you know, if he was an NFL GM, he'd just wait until guys are drafted. And then you can uh, see who's good based on draft capital. Pretty funny. I get it. And uh, I do understand that uh, based on, you know, if you are doing rookie drafts and dynasty and stuff before the draft, then yeah, obviously you can't rely on draft capital. But, you know, when so much of our industry, I'd argue 95 plus percent of all fantasy drafts are probably done after the draft. uh, It is tough to, you know, just fully hang your hat on that. Like, I get it. If I was a GM, we wouldn't be able to put this much stock in draft capital, but I'm not. So why would we ignore the thing that's really more correlated to fantasy success uh, than anything else we're able to pull out of our ass? But anyway, anyway, I want to talk with Eric about some of these running backs and just get the feel for like which guys, if they land the right situation, can catch passes and theoretically handle that three-down role. As we've seen, you know, with the Kenneth Walkers and the Brees Halls of the world rising to the top, I do think we have a decent idea about who's going to be going potentially day two doesn't seem like any day one but we'll see maybe Brees Hall sneaks in there at the end but also talk about the rest of the guys because again you know as we talked about in our draft capital episode not that big of a difference and you know top fantasy running backs rookies produced on day one versus even day two second or third round alike so keep an eye out for that podcast and again more fancy goodness ahead enjoy the USFL this weekend uh, I know I will be uh, for sure so happy uh, pre-easter everyone we'll talk to you again Friday my name's Ian uh, thank you again for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.